HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. What's happening, everybody? Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I am your host, Mitchell Shirk, and I am counting down the days at this point, like many of you are. We, as this airs, it is the beginning of September, and beginning of September usually means a lot of things. It means we're within a month, within a 30-day window of seeing what I believe to be the greatest month of the year, October, upon us. And uh, I- I'm just so hungry to be in the woods. I, I- And, I, I mean, I'm- I'd love to shoot a big mature deer. I'd love to fling a couple arrows, fill a couple tags, get plenty of deer meat. I, I want to do all those things, but I just want to have something to settle my mind and unwind a little bit. I I mean, that's part of why we do this, right? It's just something that eases your mind. And I've been getting a little bit of a, a taste of that here and there. So this past weekend, I was able to go out and do some last minute prep work at a new property that I got permission to hunt on in western Pennsylvania. So, it's kind of a, a kind of a unique setup. So, I I gained permission on this property in the beginning of the year in January. It's actually uh, it's actually a relation of mine. They bought a new house with with some land on it. And when we helped move them in, I took a walk the one evening and kind of got a feel for how the property laid out and I stuck a camera out and left that camera soak um, until I was able to come back out which was this past weekend and it was kind of a kind of a bummer it it, the camera died in June and uh, there was a lot of activity a lot of daytime deer activity from the the months of January through June and of course the last series of pictures that the camera took was of a dandy buck that had that point in the year he was out past his ears just starting to curl around and it was no doubt it was a, a big big shooter and uh it's it kind of one of those deer that left me wondering like okay i wonder what he looks like now and is he going to show back up on camera but i was able to uh, there was there was an opening on this property i had some leftover food plot seed and there was an opening that i thought would make a really good food plot and I, I, with very little prep work, I broadcast seed, sprayed the weeds, and then mowed over top of it. Most of it was that Japanese stilt grass. I don't really expect it to be a great food plot, guys. I really am expecting it to be spotty, if anything. I mean, first of all, we need some rain on it, and if we don't get it, we've we've got problems. Uh, we're fortunate enough here where I'm at in uh, southeast Pennsylvania. We got some rain this week. We got about inch to an inch and a half thunderstorm that, you know, gave us another shot and helped us go on food plots around here. 
but uh, it seemed pretty dry out there in western Pennsylvania as well. So who knows what's actually going to grow if anything grows. But I had the seed. It was worthwhile. And the, the big thing I did was I put some cameras up. And one of the cameras is a cell camera. I have that in a location where I would be able to access. And I actually put a tree stand there. It's going to work well for a, an array of wind situations. There's some topography there that I think I may have some thermal advantage at certain points. I think the access is pretty cool. It's a really unique property because there's a lot of neat topography features. You know, I've never been somebody that's been able to go out and hunt like Wisconsin, but I, I've seen videos and I've heard people talk about like bluff country and like, you know, more rolling hills and like this is kind of what that reminds me it's different than what i'm used to like there's three distinct valleys on this property and very narrow ridges they're they're, they're short drop-offs into the next valley and there's just so much neat topography lays up and there's there's a lot of neat vegetation this property has a ton of potential i mean it's definitely holding daytime deer activity and bedding there's there's been tons of beds from what i've found i've had a lot of daytime activity on the cameras the first time and I placed uh, one camera on the food plot that I attempted to plant we'll see how that pans out uh, I maintained one of the camera positions it's actually the one I switched it to a cell camera but the one I had that I left soak and then I put two others um, throughout portions of the property and those two other cameras are in bedding locations the one I probably don't even see myself being able to get in and hunt it the other one I would be able to hunt that location it's kind of a transition ridge from the the main block of bedding down through their property to where the deer kind of maneuver off and go into the bottoms to feed and it it's more along the lines of I'm just curious what is going to show up and what kind of intel and information can I gather for the future? Because I want to learn this property. I think there's potential that I'd be able to do some property improvements on it. And it's it's going to be dependent on, on one main factor. And that is, what are the goals and you know, what does the landowner have in mind and in store for that property? So the funny story I'll tell you guys. So like the, the landowner is not a hunter and he is very very interested in what i'm doing he, he he's, he's not like he has to breathe down my neck because he's concerned i'm doing something wrong he's truly engaged he's truly fascinated in why i like certain aspects of his property and why i would stick a camera here and why i would put a tree stand here and this and that and it, it's engaging to him and he he's you know the thing is he's on he's new it's fresh so he's on his property constantly and he's walking around and he's cutting trails and he's doing this and doing that and has aspirations to do all sorts of things i mean his his mind is going a million miles a minute and uh if you know as well as i do if you're if you have some experience deer hunting if he's spending a ton of time throughout you know, the borders of his property, walking around and doing things that are going to chase deer and impact their daytime movement of the property, that's going to hinder it greatly. And that's okay. I'm not really going to weigh a lot on this property. I think it has potential, but the potential is going to rely on, you know, if, if the pressure can be maintained and it's one of those things where it's out of my control and that's okay. But, you know, for those of you who are 
creeping in on season, you know, like I am within 30 days, you know, there's a handful of you that get to hunt two weeks sooner. And that's if you are in any of the special regulations units in 5C, 5D, and 2B. And that's a special time. And I've had uh, conversations with a number of people that get to hunt those units. And there's been a lot of great deer that hit the ground. And it's even just a great opportunity just to shoot a couple doe and get, you know, get your, uh, get things oiled up, lubricated for when a, when a buck shows up, you know, kind of work the kinks out of your shooting and, and the, the, the early season jitters. You know, it's, if you're, if you're not getting excited shooting a doe, man, uh, I'm, I feel bad for you because I get plenty excited and it's just a great way to practice. You can't beat shooting game for experience. Like there's, there's nothing else. It just shooting repetition. It just makes you better. Like the more targets you can shoot, the better. And it doesn't matter. There's a certain degree, like it doesn't matter how many 3d targets, how many bag targets, how many, whatever you shoot, like you just can't beat that mental confidence of shooting deer i mean if when you can shoot a couple deer a year with a bow gives you all the confidence in the world when you do encounter that buck of a lifetime comes into bow range and you can maintain composure well enough to execute a shot it's a big one i've struggled upon but if you're any of anybody who is able to hunt those early seasons this week's episode we talked with a listener who reached out to me adam pasternak he is somebody who's been pretty daggone successful in his evolution of becoming a a deer hunter and a bow hunter and he's actually connected opening day of this special regulation season uh multiple times and on some pretty good buck too and he he goes about his strategy pretty aggressive in the beginning he's kind of going for broke in a couple spots and and i like his mentality of approaching it with respect to who else has access to the property and trying to put your eggs into a basket that you know is is your best case scenario opening day because he feels he he weighs a lot based on the scouting and intel that he has before that and he's pretty confident in these spots and and he'll go into detail about that but we have a just a general bow hunting conversation in that evolution of becoming a bow hunter and his his next level and where he's going from here to there in that and uh we we talk some again we talk some strategy we just talk some experiences and it's a great episode i hope you guys really enjoy it and lastly before we go to this episode i just want to say a big shout out to little mountain outfitters guys little mountain outfitters is an archery shop located in richland pennsylvania that will cover you from head to toe and everything you need from this fall they have brand new bows sitting on the shelf waiting to, to size you and tune you up with They've got Bear, Prime, Matthews, and a whole bunch more crossbows. They've got all the accessories you would need to get tuned up, not to mention they've got Rambo electric bikes for sale. They have Food Plot Seed with Real World Wildlife Seed Company. Great products there. They've also got mobile hunting uh, products, tethered uh you know, saddles, platforms, you name it. You've got the ability to try them on, test them out, and ask them questions. You know, last thing I'll share is those guys that run that shop and own that shop, they're full of knowledge. They've Everything that's on those shelves, they've tinkered with on their own, they've had personal experience with, and they're just a wealth of knowledge, and they're, they're fantastic bow technicians if you need to get tuned up. 
Uh, they've, they've got a ton of experience. They've helped me out a ton, and I know that they can help you. Don't let that stuff go till the last minute, guys. We've got a month until statewide, and I, I, I really think you ought to check them out and get set up and ready to go. And with that, let's, happen, let's hop into this episode. All right, we're live, and on the phone with us today, we got Adam Pasternak. Adam, what's going on? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you, man. So we are closing in on an early archery season opener. You know, most of us, uh, the majority of us here in the state, Pennsylvania, uh, we're getting started here October, is it the second this year? It's like the first weekend in October. What? I got to look on my calendar because I can't remember October one. So we're the first yeah. weekend of October, but um, you are one of the lucky guys that is hunting in the the two week earlier special regs unit. Um, are you excited? You pumped? Oh, absolutely. You uh, all off season, you know, you, and then you put all that work in, and then you get to open it up a little bit earlier than everyone else, capitalize on the patterns and, and whatnot. So always looking forward to hunting season. So you got to believe it, man. You got to believe it. So Adam, introduce yourself. Tell, um, you know, tell everybody who you are, um, kind of your intro into, into bow hunting and you know, where you're from, that that type of stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I live, um, just outside of Pittsburgh and I've been seriously bow hunting for about six years now. I've always, my whole life, I've always hunted rifle hunted, but you know, I really taken, um, a passion for archery hunting in the last six years. I'm, always learning, always um, consuming as much information as I can. And, yeah, I, that's about it. So That rifle hunting that you took part of, did you start from a young age and kind of follow along with family and friends and kind of have that, you know, rifle hunter's cabin, uh, you know, camaraderie atmosphere? Like, what's what was your intro into uh, rifle <laughs> hunting and deer hunting in the first place? So... So yeah, when I was probably 18, my, my older brother, he took me out and I wore blue jeans, flannel, you know, the, the, the orange uh, vest. And we just kind of walked around, sat, sat on, sat on the ground, looked for deer. It wasn't, there was no strategy behind it. There was no, uh, just a lot of camaraderie and, and hanging out and being in the, in the woods. And really, really that was it. And then throughout my you know, I just progressively um, wanted to be in the woods more and learn more. And then I, my brother-in-law introduced me into archery hunting. And then once I, you know, and that starts a lot earlier. So I was able to spend a lot more time in the woods and, and I just completely fell in love with it. The, the whole atmosphere behind archery hunting, you know, the the leaves on the tree, the, the, the whole fall atmosphere, the chill weather, you know, the, the whole thing, the whole shebang. When did it, when did you, what would you say that you got bit by the bug, so to speak? I mean, everybody's got it at some point. Some of us, it's like really young from the time we're in single digit ages and sometimes it's later in life. Um, so, so when, when did that happen for you? Oh, it was instantly. So, so the first time I ever went archery hunting, he, my brother-in-law handed me a crossbow and I just sat on the ground and next to a creek. And I just sat there and he went, he had his climber and he went like, you know, hundred yards up the trail. And, and then I sat there and didn't see a single deer, got bit by mosquitoes, all that good stuff. And I just, I, I couldn't get enough of it. You know, and then we, we went back to the same spot over and over again. And then, you know, you see, you see a couple of deer, young, younger bucks and, 
some dough and and once you see it you just you want more of it and I, I just couldn't get enough of it it was it was incredible so what uh, what type of are you hunting public land private land a little bit of both what's that look like a little bit of both i i well now i have um i have about three main properties that i have permission to hunt and i'm not the only one that has has permission so there's there's and there's people i don't know so they're bigger properties so and then um i do hunt some public land as well but for usually like when i stick around um the area that i live it's it's usually I, I predominantly focus on the earlier season so Gotcha. Yeah, let's dig into the early season stuff. So I'm kind of curious. Everybody has um, maybe somebody they like to follow or stuff. Like you, you shared with me earlier before we got started that you um, you just love to consume content. You love to try to to gain as much knowledge as possibly can to try to get, get in. You started in the beginning. There was very minimal strategy. You were just going out and enjoying it. You're you're starting to take things more seriously. And you're starting to, to to hone in on that early season strategy and and hopefully harvest a good buck. So tell me a little bit about your evolution into where you are now as far as that content consumption. I mean, where where do you typically find yourself listening, watching stuff like that, and what have you taken um, to get into that that start of your early season success? So. About six years ago, like I said, that's when I really, truly took the archery hunting serious. And that's when I came across the, the Wired to Hunt podcast. And um, Dan Johnson was on there, the, the Nine Fingers Chronicle. So I went over to his. I also wanted to see what he, you know, his was about. And I'd listen to every single week. I still do. You know, every week there's all the episodes that come out. And I have a job to where, you know, I'm able to listen to podcasts all day long. So I just have them on and I listen to them. And basically, I, I, I just, I like to listen to a, a wide variety of everybody. And I don't think there's one way to skin a cat, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, so basically, um, I just kind of take, take and listen to every, everybody I can and consume and watch YouTube videos, read books, all that, all that stuff. So but I have to say it probably started with um, The Wired to Hunt you know, Mark Kenyon and, and then Dan Johnson. So, and then that's, you know, how I came across yourself. Absolutely. So the, uh, the content consumption, and then let's, let's, let's start to get into that good old conversation of how you found great success because you've you killed two real good bucks here in the past six years. I think you said yeah. on opening day, right? Opening day. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. dive in a little bit to how, um, you have, have, fine-tuned your your skill to allow that to happen so i'm a firm believer that you learn more in your failures than you do your successes and when i first started like i like i was telling you i would spend all day long like i would wake up two hours before sunrise be in the tree and then i I wouldn't get out until after dark and there was days i wouldn't see a deer i would just watch the chipmunks and the squirrels and you know, and this was early season too, you know, so it's 90 degrees, 80 degrees. And, you know, I, I, I went all season long doing that. And I just thought maybe if I spent enough time in a tree, you know, I would eventually come across and shoot a d- decent buck, you know. And I went a whole season and I had no success. And then late season, I ended up shooting a doe. And it was, uh, I was like, and then that off season, it was kind of like, I got to change some things. You know, I need to, I need to 
kind of do some things differently. And then I invested in some troll cameras and that uh, I can't remember the exact year. I think it was, I'm not going to tell you cause I can't remember, but there was a year where I just in the, um, in the spring where I just started scouting, just started walking the properties that, you know, I was, um, where I hunted and I would walk all along, walk the deer trails, walk everything I could, you know, just kind of get intimate with the property. And then I was hanging the trail cameras. And then I noticed that, the more time, you know, the, the there was a little bit of a pattern with, with all the bucks that would come, you know. And I started paying attention to it, paying attention to it. And I'm like, there's something here, you know. They, they keep visiting on, you know, certain times, certain certain situations. And then I just kind of would put that into my strategy in leading up to opening day. So Explain to me your mindset and how your, your horizons just – kind of changed when you started doing that off-season scouting like how, how did that change your mindset as you start putting in boots to the ground and not necessarily just going out and sitting somewhere in the woods that looked pretty yeah right so like I said I I didn't I hunted for about three years and didn't shoot shoot a buck so I I was kind of driven to you know basically put the work in you know, you, you listen to all these podcasts and consume all the content and, and it's, it's, you know, and you listen to any of them and it's always to, to shoot a decent buck, you know? So, and that's what I wanted to do. So when I basically going into that off season, I kind of had a plan and, and it just kind of basically, it was just putting as much work in as I possibly could to lead to, to, the success of shooting a buck, you know, if that's, um, absolutely. So when you started to put that work in, um, kind of give me, what was the first thing you were looking at? You were looking at off season work, but how did that all, was that just walking every inch of the property and looking for specific deer sign? Like what, uh, what specific things were you looking at? You thought, man, I need to change this and this is going to lead to hopefully a better potential, uh, opportunity this fall. Yeah. So I don't, I don't hunt properties where there's like a specific, um, food source, you know, it's, it's browse, it's acorns, it's in, you know, you see a lot of deer in people's yards. So I, I was kind of piecing this all together, you know, and th- there's not a lot of agriculture around, mm. if you will. So I'm trying to piece all this together where the deer, you know, and I need to be where the deer are. And so when I go to the property and I'm walking, I'm basically just trying to figure out and see where the most deer sign is, mm. whether that's deer trails, whether that's, you know, the, the bedding, and when I first started, you know, I, I was so naive. I didn't know what, what betting was, you know, and eventually, you know, you, you learn those things, but, and then you find, you know, where the oak trees are and then in the, the water source and, and then the terrain, the terrain's a big thing too, because, you know, deer use each property, they use the terrain to navigate through it, you know. So you want to be intimate with that and know exactly what's what's going on there. Certainly. So as you started to divest all this energy and time into learning these properties, learning bedding, food, and and stuff like that, give me, uh, give us all an, an idea of how did that first sit 
when you connected on that good buck? How did that setup, that stand location, that placement, give me like your mindset, why you chose that location versus when you first started going out? What was your mindset when you chose the location when you first started going out? Kind of comparing the two. Yeah. So I actually, it wasn't even, it was almost like a, like a, um, like a good mistake. So the first time I ever had an encounter with, I actually missed, missed a very nice buck. Okay. So I put the work in and I, I had this tree. I use a climber, so I don't have any set stands. And so I put the work in and I had this one spot picked out for opening day. And I, I went up the top of this ridge and I basically climbed up there first thing in the morning and a, and a, a very nice buck came in. And I had buck fever and I completely missed him. Mm. Like I pulled back my bow, hit the release, and the arrow swabbed in the weeds. It was it was a nightmare. But but like I said, with that failure, I learned so much. You know, I was like, this is opening day. He came in just like I thought he would. And basically it was on top of a ridge and he was coming back to bed from from being out in the the, the fields to eat. So then the buck that I ended up shooting, I had him on troll camera all summer long. He was coming through this patch of woods and he was coming back through to go to his bedding. So basically what I did was I, and I know it's not popular, but I actually hunt a lot of mornings. And what I do is I, I get in there ridiculously early and I, I sit in there and I basically intercept him coming back from feeding back to his bed. Mm. And that, yeah, and that's how um, I was able to get him. That's really interesting because there is a lot of controversy over morning hunts. You know, I think about the property that I hunt. It's uh, the main property hunt. It's a pretty significant ridge, and it faces the south. And I find in the mornings, it's not that deer don't move. We have, you know, we definitely have images of deer and, and evidence that deer are moving in the morning. But what I find is when it's cold and the sun's down, your thermal is pulling downhill and there's a lot of ag below. So you kind of get a thermal pull from where the deer are coming from as the sun rises and you start to get the the heat and you get swirling winds. Even if you have a forecasted wind direction uh, for the stand that I feel I need to be hunting, that swirling wind combo with that thermal mixing uh, it gets to be really challenging, and I, I, there's been so many times where I've sat a morning stand and saw very little, uh, yeah. saw just mixed results, and cameras were telling us otherwise, and I think it's a lot of the time just the challenges of that specific property. Now, you talking about going in on morning hunts, um, how early are you talking about going in and Give me a little bit of uh, insight on what that access looks like so you're not bumping deer as they're coming yeah. back through those transition areas, as it sounds like. Yeah, so I guess I probably should back up a little bit. I, I, I So from, from the troll camera knowledge that I've gotten, I knew that these deer were coming through this spe- specific area to go back to bedding in the morning. And my whole strategy is to beat them, beat them there and so say if, you know, the sun, sun, the first light comes at, you know, 6.50, at 7 o'clock, I want to be in there, you know, 
an hour and a half before that, set up in, in a tree, all situated, ready to go. Obviously, I want to make sure that my wind's right, not blowing to where they're coming mm. from. So even if that's blowing into their bedding, I'm okay with that because I know through knowledge and, you know, troll camera um, data that they're coming from this direction. You know, say they're coming from, you know, the east or the west, where I, I want to make sure that I'm coming off, the wind's blowing opposite of that, even if it's into their bedding. So I know that they're not going to smell me, even if I'm sitting there for two hours, you know, with the thermals or, you know, whatever you have there. And when I'm in my tree, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much anticipating it. It's almost I'm in there just knowing that they're going to come exactly from here, almost to a certain exact time in the early season because they're so patternable. Absolutely. So the, the, how does your trail camera strategy look throughout the year to collect that information? Are you somebody that runs kind of all year long? Are you running mostly just from a certain point into the season? What does that look like? And what does that placement look like to kind of give you that, that high level of confidence for your early season sets? Yeah, so so I start running trail cameras probably end of June, beginning of July, and then I I I check them. I check them often, not, not like probably every three weeks. But I have easy access to them. I don't go in deep and put them in bedding areas. I I put them in travel routes back to their bedding mm. from. Food. So if 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 it's on an acorn flat or or you know like I said in um. If they're coming from a field or whatnot, like I know the property very intimately. So what I'll do is I'll pro- put position my camera to where I know they're coming back from wherever they're feeding at night, back to bed in the morning. So, and and it's it's proven to work for me, you know. So I I, I mean I'm gonna do what I do what I do, but I know like like you said, it is controversial for some reason the more the morning hunts in the early season. Yeah, I think it's controversial because there's been a lot of research and there's also a lot of hunters that experience um, sometimes deer are back in their beds by first light. And it's Mm -hmm. not it's not all the time. It's definitely not all the time. So give us an idea, like as they're traveling from fields from suburbia area and Mm -hmm. you you talked about them using terrain and such, are you just looking for the perfect transition area um, in between or do you try to favor closer to bedding or closer to feeding based on certain times like in my mind i'm wondering do you try to favor as close to bedding as possible without busting that out or is it is that not your mindset at all it's mostly just that the perfect travel corridor the perfect travel corridor you know and i i will say this too this this all works depending on that you're the first one in there on opening day, like before the, before patterns just kind of blow up, you know, once everyone's hunters start coming into the woods, you know, even the, um, you know, the September shift happens. And so it, it, there is a very small window of opportunity to take advantage of. So I found that these specific travel corridors back to bedding, you know, they take the same travel corridors back to the bedding. So over time, I just kind of realized that, you know, I can basically ambush them in the morning. I can get in there nice and early. My access, I, I have it 
to a way where I know I'm not going to disturb them from where they are because I know where they are feeding at night or whatever they're doing because they're not in their bedding. So basically I get in there and it's just an ambush they, and, and it, it's proven to work. I really like that, that first time in part, because I have seen that so many times that the first time in is Mm -hmm. the key spot. And I think back to, you know, the history of, you know, some of the the great buck that we've taken on the property that I hunt. Going back, I think it's three years ago. Now, keep in mind where I'm hunting. We we start at the beginning of October. We're the statewide opener. But I think back, uh, I think it was three years ago. There was one specific target buck that we watched that year, and we ended up harvesting in November. But opening night, the wind was wrong to hunt one of the locations where we knew there was target bucks um, frequenting. Mm-hmm. And when we pulled the cameras later in the season, opening night, he and another very nice, I believe it was a three-year-old at the time, were there in daylight hours utilizing that area. And if it hadn't been for wind, we would have been there. Uh, fast forward after we killed that target deer the next year, um, opening night in that very location, the same three-year-old that was paired with that other shooter showed up and, you know, my uncle was fortunate enough to harvest him on opening night. The first sit, the wind was right. That, that pattern, like you talked about, it's an almost like an early season pattern. That pattern for us was food. It was all related to food. And, you know, the, the properties I hunt, some of them are food plots, but there was, there's a trend and it's, there, there's, with that food trend, there's actually like a, a behavioral trend. And what I mean, like I've seen time and time again, where if you take a mature deer out of that routine location that they use, another mm-hmm. one finds that void. And if everything else is kept constant, you know, if, if a deer is able to stay secure and safe and feel that, then another one will find that pattern as well. And I've seen that time and time again with those, you know, I see that season long, but I've seen it with those early season patterns. Um, you know, the buck A that we killed three years ago, he kind of, I want to say dominated a certain portion of that property. And when he was removed out of that realm, the following year, that, buck B kind of just fit right into that same mold leading into uh, the early season when we killed him, but it was all related around food and it was repeatable. But um, getting back to what you brought up in the first place, it's all that first time sit, you know, I've been in so many cases where the wind swirled or I, I maybe just wasn't as keen on what I should have been doing, uh, and mess something up, you know, whether that's hunting pressure, how I access winds world, whatever, and it can turn in a hurry. So I really like that first time sit. So that's been panning out pretty well for you the past few years, um, going in on that first set. So what's that looking like for you as far as planning opening day this year? So, so this year's a little bit different for me too. I, I, um, I, I do want to say about the first set, there, there, it's, it's an element of surprise, mm. you know, before, before people go in and, and kind of, you know, booger up the woods, as I call it, they, they the, the deer only tolerate so much before they, you know, basically relocate and go to, you know, maybe another property or hunker down and fix stuff. And so taking advantage of that first set is really, truly what my strategy is. And 
all the off-season prep and work I do during the summer is geared towards that opening day, that opening week, and getting them patterned to a point where I could sneak in there in the morning and ambush them on their way back, you know, from, from feeding at night. So this year is a little bit different from me. my my wife's actually um she's uh she's pregnant with our first our first kid. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And um she's due in November. So <laughs> So uh, there probably won't be any rut hunting for me. So th- this year, I definitely um, am, am really hoping to get it done in the early season. So, and we we just bought a new house as well. So everything's kind of been a little bit crazy this summer. So I, I put some trail cameras out. I haven't got around to checking them, but once I do and and I study them and learn any patterns, if there are, sometimes you might not you know, might not catch a pattern. It might just be random, and I got to relocate the camera. So essentially, the course of the season, and I'll pull it. I'll do a one last card pull, and I'll sit there. I'll go through the pictures, and I'll see if there's any pattern there. And if there is, then that's where I'll put. I'll put all my um, effort into that property and into that spot. And I use a. I use a climber. So I know some guys. You know, they. Lone, I have a lone wolf tree stand too, and you know, some guys like saddles, or whatever. But I, I. I definitely prefer to be mobile. Because sometimes, you know, I will kind of, um, you know, if the wind's blowing a certain way, I will try and cut it a little bit by, you know, adjusting a little bit, knowing where they're coming from. So I might try and cut the wind. But, and so this year, I really um, am using a little bit of historical data, too, of of good early season um, places, travel corridors as well. And that's that's really where I'm going to start, so... I really like that. And you, uh, you mentioned back to the, the whole first time in thing. Um, I, I'm fortunate. I have some properties where we have, uh, everybody who hunts that property is on the same page. We work together Mm -hmm. and we do a really, really good job of trying to manage that. So, manage that hunting pressure that is so when you put that into perspective of rushing in opening day i'm a little bit more treating it as you know my season is a marathon i want to try to go into those best locations based on the historical data based on the knowledge that i have leading into preseason, and try to capitalize when everything else comes together and seems right and a lot of the time that's that's mostly wind direction and, and teasing in to uh, just those all those little variables you look at when you're you're finding a perfect day to sit in the woods and I think there's a lot of differences between the property I'm discussing and what you're discussing and that's probably uh, something that can get taken out of context so easy you uh, you don't have that luxury you're you're sharing the properties with somebody else and you're going in as quickly as possible because if you don't go in and if you don't mess it up, somebody else will. So you might as well try to capitalize the first chance you have. And I think that's a big thing to take away when you're comparing properties in different hunting situations. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, even though it's private property, you know, I, I, it's, it's almost if it's public land because, you know, there's people that I don't know that are there, you know, and they might have the same outlook as me in, 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 the strategy is me. So uh, it's not that I'm competing against them, but, but I, 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 in a, in a roundabout way, I guess I kind of am. I've even used them as to an advantage. Cause I know if they, 
you know, you see him on trail camera walking in, you know, past, you know, going down the trail. So I, I kind of get an idea of where they're coming from as well. So I kind of use that to my advantage as well. The, the one property specifically there, I know, and there's a, a very big deer on there and I've, I've had him on a camera the last three years. And I, it's, this spot is, it's actually, it's, it's so overlooked and I see people walking by my camera all the time to go a little bit deeper, but right behind them is this buck. Actually, there, you know, there's a bachelor group of bucks and they use this, they use this, uh, this gas line and it's, it's so overlooked that, that like people just walk right by it and, and don't even realize that these deer are coming through their right first thing in the morning, you know? So basically what I do is just set up right behind them, knowing that what they're doing and then capitalize on, on that. So do you find yourself, are you target, are you getting to the point where you're starting to try to target specific deer that you have on camera? If you have one, three years in history, are you just basing it on uh, general knowledge of the area and, you know, a, a shooter to your standards? A little bit of both. Um, after after I pull the, the SD card and I look through it and look at the pictures and I realize that there's a specific deer that's that has a specific pattern, I will I will key in on his pattern and basically just my whole strategy is setting up on on shooting him you know that that opening day really because I, I really want to take take advantage of that element of surprise that ambush first thing in the morning because up to that point you know there's really there's not a lot of people in the woods at one time, you know, people were going in, uh, you know, do their, you know, maybe, maybe pull their card or put their trail camera up or scout or, or whatnot. You never know what, what level of, um, what level someone's at in their hunting journey, you know? So they might go in like, like I used to, and just kind of go around the woods and not really, you know, worry about going into bedding or going into, you know, whatever. They're just kind of trying to figure things out and, 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 you got to be okay with that because we, we were all there at one point. So I'm just at a point now where I try and take advantage of their, I don't want to call them mess ups, but kind of sort of, you know, I want to take advantage of, of what they're doing and kind of be there to clean up what, what they're, what they're doing wrong, you know, because the deer, the deer will react to that. And obviously it's, that first day success has been a been a big deal for you. So another thing I'm curious, you talked to, you, you flirted around some of the types of food sources in your area that you were kind of getting at. You know, you talked about browse. You said some places deer might be coming from fields. You talked about some Oak Ridge. Like, can, are, are you, is there any specific things that stand out on certain properties that just keep them? Because you had mentioned earlier in our conversation that, you know, sometimes you have a pattern and sometimes you don't. So, is is that all directly related to the food sources in that area? And do you kind of scout the the perimeters and the outsides of this property to put that two and two together on a yearly basis? Yeah. So so all properties are, are not created equal, as far as like each as far as each um, time of the season. So some some properties, in my experience, you know, there's a property that could be amazing for early season. And then there's another property that's amazing for, you know, pre-rut. And then one's, you know, great for the rut. And there's one specific property that, that is, it's set up perfectly for, for early season. And I have permission. Um, I'm not good with acres, but it, it's, it's a, it's a pretty big chunk of land. I, I would say, I'd say around a hundred acres. And part of it, 
um, the neighbor, they have a an apple orchard. So so basically, there's timber, and then there, there's a little bit of a hill, and then on top there's you know they, they plant a little bit of corn, but it's not it's not a farm. It's not like it's almost like a hobby farm, mm. you know. And then on the and then on the other side of the cornfield, then there's like an apple orchard. So I've realized that, and through you know scouting and walking this, I've I've come to realize that the lot they early season they're up there in the apple orchard and you know and then they work their way back through and then through the um through the field they come down through the timber and then through the gas line into their bedding and then there I am in the morning you know so there there is um there's other properties that the, the only food source is acorns and browse you know and then you know the grass is on the on the power line there's a, a power line that runs the whole you know, length of the, the property I've access to. So I, be, I basically just look for where the deer are spending the most time just by the sign that they leave, you know, whether it's, you know, you see nibbling on the brows or, you know, obviously they're, you know, their droppings or what, whatnot. I just, I'm looking for where they're spending their time. For early season hunts, do you have a time where you just say, all right, at, by this date, I've got the information that I need, and I'm going to stay out of the woods to keep it unpressured. Or do you kind of go the opposite mo- mindset and say, you know, everybody else is in the woods um, the same time. Um, I'm going to continue to scout so I have the most recent information going. In. Like, what does that property intrusion look like going for you as we approach the two weeks leading up to opening day? Yeah. So, so. I, I personally tell myself that I, I won't go into any of the properties two weeks before opening day. So, so, so basically, I pull my cameras one last, my cards one last time, and that's really what I judge all my information on. So, because I really want to leave the spot alone, I don't want to go in there, I don't want to intrude. Um, deer have they have a certain amount of tolerance for intrusion. But then, you know, there comes a point when you're, if you, if, you know, if I go in there every week, every, you know, every other day, then, then yeah, they're probably going to leave that spot alone and it's, that spot's not going to be any good. But if, if I strategically say, I'm going to go, go in and pull the card, you know, three times from the time I put it where I want it. So I, I map it out to basically where my last card pool is two weeks before the season. And then I sit there and I look through and see if there's any patterns that I could capitalize on. I think that's a huge thing. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people, I think, miss that opportunity of letting things soak. Yep. You know, we, uh, I really try to have as much done as possible on main, my, the main places I hunt. You know, about, you know, three or four weeks prior to the season, I'd like to have as much wrapped up that I'm not out, you know, finalizing cameras and finalizing. Camera strategy, that's a whole podcast in of itself, and so many people have different ideas. Um, I've started using some cell cameras, which obviously are just fantastic for that most recent information that you don't have to go in and intrude. Most of the cameras, though, however, are set up that – they're, they're not they're just regular cameras, and we'll pull cards just like you use. But I'll do that one last pull, and it's sometime in that three to four weeks before. And a lot of the time it's historical information and knowing what you know yep. about the properties and making that first decision. But 
there's there's locations we go that if the wind is right and I'm going to hunt there, let's say opening night, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit the the top plot or whatever. There yeah. are cameras placed along that access route on the outer perimeter of that property that lead in and out. Maybe there's maybe there's some other stand locations that are in those transition areas, as I would call them, between bedding and food. And it's not an intrusive thing for me to go and switch that card on my way to my stand or my way back from the stand, depending on where I think deer will be from, you know, early afternoon accessing versus in the evening. Like if they're, if, if it's, kind of getting too close to bedding maybe i'll just say okay i'm gonna wait until i leave my stand because they'll be out of bedding by then i'll go switch those cards out and go there um i think that's a big way to do it like i'm not going out and pulling cards um in season close to season because that is hunting intrusion just itself uh Mm -hmm. you I have to like go through this checklist when I'm going to access and hunt. I'm like, okay, do I have everything I need to not only hunt but also scout? Do I have all the pieces of of equipment, batteries, SD cards, stuff like that? Because most of those cameras are just collecting data, and they're not necessarily doing that first. They're they're not giving me that MRI by day like a cell camera, and I use that yeah. for next year. That that's important to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a historical pattern throughout the whole entire season, not only the early season, but even the deeper you get into it, you know, from, from year to year. I, I And specifically early season, I've noticed that deer, the same deer will actually show up at the same, around about the same spots as well from Absolutely. year to year. Yeah, and, and it's in, in hunting, I think sometimes we get away from, from simple and uh, you, sometimes we, we overlook the simple thing and the simple answer. You know, you want to put yourself where deer are, specifically, you know, a good, decent buck. So if you see one and you and you know where he's coming from or coming to or going to, and you get and you intercept where he's going, you know, that's that's the end goal that we want. And I, I definitely think that another huge thing is is the entrance to your spot your 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 access to to where you're going and as far as um the, the whole ambush strategy in the morning like it's i personally like to go in and be mobile and be able to adapt to you know to to where i go and i also have a tree in mind to where i'm going to go so it's not like i'm going in and hoping that i'm going to have a tree picked out like i do know a general area of where i'm going to i'm going to climb and set up so access is key and everybody pounds access 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 so the one thing that i I think when you listen to somebody talk about access and you go yeah that that's kind of that that makes sense that's that's kind of silly to just be bringing that up all it's 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 obvious Um, when you go into a morning sit though i've been in plenty of places where i knew where i want i might have even had a uh, a pre-hung tree stand but going in in the dark you are definitely not as agile. You're definitely not as stealthy. It, you know, even if you've got a light, it's it's harder to be as quiet. It's harder to maneuver. I mean, unless you've got, you know, just I, I've even had some good trails over the years that I knew where I was going, and I still got a little bit goofed up. It's not like I got lost, but I I just veered off a little bit, and that can impact. So 
with all that in mind, you talking about being mobile, going in in the morning, and having good access. What is foolproof access for some of your your places you're going look like, and how do you how do you fine tune that when you get there and it's in the dark? You know, let's say you go up and you know, okay, I want to hunt this ridge that there's a nice flat on between this this block of bedding from these this apple orchard, and I know where I want to get there, but I got to go up through. Maybe you got to go up through a ditch, and maybe there's places where it's thicker than others. Like just just kind of Tell me about how you're making sure um, your access stays constant in the dark in those morning hunts. Yeah, it, some of them aren't easy, you know, but some of them are easy. And I'll, I'll give you an example. There's this one, it's on top of a ridge. And, and so I, I'll park my truck off the side of the road and I got a straight walk up to the ridge. It's about a 300, maybe even 400 yard up, basically up a hill through briars and, and, and bushes and it's, it, there's areas where it gets a little bit thick, but throughout the summer, what I'll do is I'll make sure that, you know, I put tacks on the tree and, you know, I know where I'm going. So I could shine my light seat, you know, and, and have a, a good direction of, of where to go. And the biggest thing that I started doing is I get, I show up at the spot extremely early. And I really take my time getting there. Like, I'll take one step, stop, take another step, stop. Like, I, I'm very meticulous with how I get in there. And, like, sometimes you, you can't help but, you know, step on a twig or, you know, make a little bit of noise. You know, your, your stand gets caught on a, some, some jaggers or whatnot. And, and, but that's part of it. But, mm-hmm. again, I also know where the deer are. So, at the same time, I'm not worried about, you know, kind of running into them because where I'm putting myself is where they're going to, going to, going to be coming to. So there's another spot where, um, it's a very, it's very easy to access, but you know, you have the element of the darkness. So, um, what I do is basically, again, like no matter if it's far or close, like I'll still show up very early and take my time getting there. And, Cause you, you also don't want to sweat you know, and you don't want to get, you know, in, in a situation where, you know, you got to move fast and get in the tree because, you know, the deer are going to be coming through at a specific time. So if I know the deer are coming in through at a specific time, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm there well ahead of them. So I feel like it. the climber conversation and you talked about sales and stuff. I feel like almost climbers have almost become like taboo like oh you still use a climber did you not upgrade everybody uses a saddle right. Right? everybody's mobile hunting with a hang on and and sticks like yeah. and uh i haven't found that to be the case I, I use what the situation calls for i've i've killed some good deer out of climbers um i have a saddle i've used it i actually had some kind of crappy experiences but i've had some good ones i'm still yeah. learning i'm no saddle hunting expert um one of the things that I learned early on when I did some hunting with a climber is I had to make some modifications on my climber so that I was yeah. as quiet as possible, especially in the morning. Like I, like I just brought that up. Every time you go in in the mornings, you're, you're working. It, it's just a little bit different. Everything's a little bit harder, and yeah. I find it's harder to stay quiet even with equipment. Talk, tell me about how you – keep that in mind and what modifications do you have you done or 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 what things do you do to just keep that piece of equipment quiet because it is a big thing of metal 
Yeah. So I do love my climber, and and I, I, I and I'm I'm with you. I don't know why it's taboo, but it, it, it gives me like a secure feeling too. I can go 30, 40 feet in the tree and feel feel safe and secure. You know, where where like you you're going on a hang on, you know, 20, 25 feet, you're you know, you're feeling like okay, you know, I can. It's a little scary up here, but a climber, like I, I feel really good getting up there high. But um, and sometimes you know, like you said, whatever it calls for, it's what I'm going to do. But the modifications that I made to the climber, you know, I tape like all the zippers and all the metal on metal, all the clinking, and and I make sure everything, um, you know, there's not going to be any any basically no metal on metal. Mm. And the the way I when I get to my tree in the morning, I just, I have a system basically down from just doing it repetition, you know, like I could do it blindfolded, you know, when you're in the dark, you, you kind of have to. So basically I just kind of, when I get there, I know what to do. I, I know where everything is in my backpack. I know, you know, where my bow hoist is, where, you know, everything that's going, my, my tree harness, everything. So basically just through repetition and, and trial and error, I have, I've just gotten a system to where I could hook up to the tree get up there and, and basically climb. And when I climb, I, I very much take my time. I'll, I'll put the top part up and then I'll bring up the, you know, the bottom part and then just very slowly. And again, this comes with showing up early and giving myself that, that time to take my time, you know? And cause the whole, the whole purpose of it is to um, get in position to intercept a deer. So, the whole point of me going out that morning specifically would, you know, is to kill the deer. So essentially I just kind of set myself up by getting there early, taking my time walking there and then taking my time getting set up on the tree and climbing it. Everything you're talking about, it sounds so simple, but at the same time, it's all calculated and yep. a, one little thing can really damper that first time in. So I like the, the, the calculated steps that you take. Um, so both the, both the bucks you've killed the past two years, I think you said they were both opening day in the morning, opening day in the morning. Gotcha. Yes, gotcha. So you haven't had to have too many situations where you were combating for the evenings then. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, not really. But, um, I, I, I had gone out in the evening and you, there, in, there's evening patterns as well, especially early season, whether they're coming out of their bedding. It's almost opposite. You know, now, now, now you know they're in their bedding and they're coming out to feed. So you basically want to intercept on a trail or, or sit on the food source. But I found that in the evening, and I don't know how, how what, you've, what you've experienced, but I found they're a little bit more edgy in the evening when they come out of bedding, especially as the, as the season um, winds on. I think every property and every situation warrants something different. You know, um, I have, uh, I've, I've done more recently in the past, uh, like two or three seasons, I've done a lot more sitting on food sources than I have, um, transition areas or such like that. But the reason for that is the, property that I'm referring to, we have food plots and we used to sit on food plots and we didn't have a lot of great success. And it was back to that wind swirling thing. Um, and I find that sitting on openings in the woods, you know, even if it's a one acre food plot, but it's surrounded by big timber, even if your dominant wind is right, I, with all the leaves on the trees, 
your wind hits that wall of of leaves at the other end you know let's say it's just a north and south facing uh line field and we've got a strong west wind it, i i swear wind comes over the top of that that tree canopy and kind of falls into that opening because it's free space and then bounces up off of the other leaves and it just kind of creates like this eddy like a toilet bowl effect sometimes yeah. depending on the wind speed and and you know just slight you know terrain can play a part of that too depending on how it is but moral story what i'm getting at is i've seen year year for years we'd have consistent daylight use of deer we would shoot and you would watch the wind watch the wind watch the wind and finally i got a a northwest wind that i desperately needed to have to sit that stand and i go there and i've been those situations where maybe we didn't see much uh, maybe I didn't see anything, and it was one of those where we used to say, well, they don't always come out every night, but it got to a point where it was, yes, they do, and I had plenty of sits where deer would come out and start feeding, and all of a sudden they just pick up and, and they were out of there. And the, the, the key thing was if you're going to sit on a place where deer are going to spend time, you've got to have something that fools them. So what changed is we uh, we always had these homemade box blinds, and what we did is we sealed them up. And in, in doing that with good gaskets and, and having everything closed, we're able to keep the windows closed. And with the with the dominant wind and that swirling, it really really helps reduce that pressure. So not everybody has that, and I understand that. But what I'm what I'm recommending to anybody is. Don't sit on the food source if you're going to be concerned that you can't get in and out without bumping deer. Yep. I, I would much rather sit on a transition like you're discussing because my experience has been when you can find those places where you can get in and get out and not be detected in those situations, and it is off the food, number one, you're back closer to the bedding, so hopefully you have more time as they approach food. But number two, it's uh, just the sheer fact that they usually feel more secure in the timber, um, in the timber. Even, if, even if it's an opening in a transition you know i i've seen mature buck do this where they'll they'll come out of a bedroom and kind of mill around do their thing browse along and they'll get to a certain point in that access where they're going to their desired food you know food location and maybe it's a Maybe it is like an opening. Maybe there was a cut that they were bedding in. And as they get to the end of that cut and the the transition of the hardwoods changes before it leads, you know, another 100 or 200 yards to the food source, it's like that change in vegetation type. They got to secure it. They, they, they got to they scan. They got to check everything out. And they'll be a little more cautious. And once everything's clear, then they kind of go through that next phase. It's like phases Yep. Um, throughout, you know, and it's different for every property, whether that's a terrain feature, a vegetation type, whatever. But uh, I would absolutely agree that those transitions are, are huge. And, you know, one of the things I'd like to see, so we talked about pattern and it was all food. How, this is different for everybody too. How do you feel, how often do you feel you need to see pictures of a specific deer to say I've got a pattern down on this deer or are you more or less saying that you've found these pockets of transition and I know that deer in general are kind of coming through here and it's a general pattern like the, the definition of pattern can get 
very different amongst different hunters. So, I mean, to that, what, what's your thoughts? That's, that's actually a great question. And so a pattern to me is when I consistently see a deer coming through that specific uh, travel corridor um, more, more often than not. So which is, so if I check my camera every three weeks or every four weeks and he's coming through, he's coming through that general area four times a week in the morning. So he's out of the seven days in a week, he's coming through four times. That to me is a pretty, pretty consistent pattern. Now, some patterns are a little bit, um, you know, if he's coming out, if he's coming through every two days out of seven days a week, you know, do I consider that a pattern? I mean, a little bit of one, but more so consistently when he's coming through often throughout the week, then, then I know that this is, this is a travel corridor that he's often going through. So that's where I'm going to really keen in on. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, not every property is created equal, like we said, especially yeah. when it comes to um, pattern ability. You know, yeah. uh, some of the plate, uh, one place I hunt, it's extremely patternable because it's a it's a very tight funnel between crop land and a block of timber, and it's basically like narrow woods and fence rows, and it's a very predictable pattern. And I have other properties that are large, monotonous pieces of timber. Some of the public land I hunt is like that. And, you know, I've listened to uh, to other people that hunt that. And I, I like, go go pattern a deer out on that mountain of, of 50,000 acres. Like, you're out of your, your, your state yeah. of mind. And I, I can relate to that wholeheartedly based on property type. You know we're we're still on this access kick, and I'm I'm so big on that just because it is a, a make or break thing, regardless of the property you hunt, public or private. I mean, I think private it lays the foundation for hunting season long and having a good season the first time you get in and the last time you get in. I mean, there was places I went last year in uh, in rifle season as the guns were cracking. And I think because everything else was laid out appropriately, I was still seeing deer on their feet in daylight hours. And I believe it's partially because we had good access. Um, even the uh, the public land places I go, um, I can think of one specific ridge uh, at where my camp is. So there's a there's a there's a very large ravine, and uh, the the top is all a five-year-old around chop off and then it kind of goes down into this ravine and it's like a big bowl area goes on to a real large bench and the bench is right about where the chop off stops so you kind of got this big bowl horseshoe type thing with a chop off but on the top section of that there's just this one little cut of of terrain um, where it kind of snakes to the left and it's hardwood timber, it's a point, and it kind of makes like an inside corner into the chop-off. And what I love so much about that spot, and I really want to try to get into that stand this year, is it, it just, it's right along that transition where you'd see a deer using that ridge, running that contour, 
but it's also relating to that chop off. And you talked about access. I already have in my mind how I want to access it. I'm going to walk perpendicular right to that spot, not walk along the edge. I mean, the, the easiest access to that spot, uh, there's that chop off edge leads to the parking lot. And I could walk right along the edge of the chop off up the ridge to that point and climb up in, in my climber or my saddle and then have the full view down into that chop off onto that bench. And instead what I'll do is walk back out the road and, you know, go way out of my way. And then when I have my GPS location say, okay, I'm, le I'm even with this, I'll walk perpendicular. That's that way I'm not walking on the edge of the chop off, potentially chasing deer that are relating to that edge, you know, morning yep. or evening hunt. I mean, that's a big thing. I, I'm big on perpendicular access when you know where you got to go. Right. Um, sure. For sure. I, you know, you know, another thing I did want to mention too, is as far as the mornings, when, when deer are undisturbed and they're doing their thing, like, and they, they don't suspect any, any danger really. Cause no hunters are in the woods. They haven't, they haven't smelled a, a large presence of, um, you know, of us hunters. So when they're coming back, they, they're coming, they're making rubs, they're eating some acorns, they're, they're eating some browse, they're getting ready to go back to bed. So taking advantage, and, and, and I can't stress that enough of that, just the element of surprise uh, of, of the early season is, is really where I found success. And I think a lot of other people can, can find success. I think that's spot on, man. Mm -hmm. Hey man, I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and chatting about some early season hunting with us, you know, uh, regardless of where you're at in your hunting career, whether you're starting out, whether you're, um, a seasoned veteran, you know, it's, there's little things that I think you can key on. And a lot of stuff you, we talked about today, I think you can kind of relate to the rest of the season, but I really like your philosophy on, I'm going to go in and go for broke on these, on some of my best spots that I have a pattern. And yep. uh, if it doesn't pan out for you, um, you've got stuff to fall back on. And we didn't even really talk about that today. I mean, I, um, I think the biggest thing is always just having, you know, one extra trick or one extra spot up your sleeve, but that, that logic is, is really good given the, um, the things you, I guess you're combating or have to deal with when it's a, a private land piece of, you know, piece of ground, but that you shit. have to share it. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's a strategy for each phase of the season as well. So, what works in the early season, you know, this thing of, of, of waking up early and getting in there, you know, it necessarily doesn't work. Well, it could work, but, you know, you got to adapt and use a different strategy for each phase of the season, mm. especially like, you know, when, when you're hunting a, a piece of property where, you know, other people are there and you necessarily aren't all on the same page because they're doing their thing and, you know, you want to accomplish a certain thing. So you, I think, each phase of the season, you gotta you gotta adapt yourself, and, and really, it comes down to just putting yourself where the deer are. So, if there was one thing that you could have wished somebody told you when you first get it started, and you're learning this journey on your own to get to where you are now, what do you wish that somebody told you, and you would have put you way ahead of the game in your learning curve of chasing deer in early season with a bow? Scout. <laughs> I mean, it's scout, 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 scout. It's know that property 
the back of your hand. You know, when that's really what it boils down to. When you know a property and you know where the deer are, that makes all the difference. Spot on. Mm-hmm. Adam, I, I wish you the best of luck. Um, twofold for that. Number one, I wish you the best of luck, and I, I, I really hope to see uh, see a hero picture with you standing behind that, that dandy of a buck opening day. I, I wish you the best of luck there. But the next best thing is I, I wish you the best of luck on this next journey in your life here, having uh, having your first job. Do you know are you having a boy or a girl? A girl. Yeah, we're having a girl. Congratulations. It's a life-changing event. Um, I've made some some jokes sometimes a little crude about being a dad and the whole dad life but um th- there isn't a better thing in the world and um you know cherish that and, and you know i i wish you the best you know that's that's awesome i'm much appreciated thank you very much <laughs> hey we'll chat with you another time yes sir